Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are continuing looking at our big offseason questions for the Knicks. There are plenty, but we're treating this sort of like our syllabus for the offseason. Today, we're talking about should the Knicks move on from Tom Thibodeau? Should they look at Carl Anthony Towns as a potential trade target? And do the Knicks need more shooting? All on today's edition of Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure to hit the notification bell on YouTube or the auto-download function on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can be in every day or that way because, yes, we are still here for you guys every day, even though it's the offseason. So be sure to check in. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find Strick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And today we are discussing, gosh, maybe the most evergreen topic in the history of this show for the last couple of years. Uh, should the Knicks fire Tom Thibodeau? Um, Gavin, I, I put this as one of my last notes, but I actually think this is an important thing to lead with before we get into the stats and stuff, like it's a really crowded coaching market this year. So this, this proposition becomes less and less appealing with each fired head coach, I think, because now the Knicks are at the point where they're going to have to basically compete with the Bucks, the Sixers, the Suns and the Raptors who are all varying degrees of good for head coaching candidates at this point. Now, granted, of course, if you're a fan of the guys that just got fired from those teams, maybe you're saying, well, the, the coaching market is stacked, uh, you know, because there's Nick nurse and Monty Williams and uh, doc rivers and Mike Budenholzer are all on the, the market. Uh, mm, but great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, but if you're, you know, if, if you subscribe to the theory that the next big thing should actually be the next big thing, maybe this isn't the best time to look. So I think you laid out, you wrote some really good notes in our, in our prep here. Like, I think you laid out a pretty good case there. There is a good case to keeping Tibbs, I think uh, this off season. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it starts with, I, I think a lot of times when people want to fire a coach or trade a player, you're, you're operating as if, only the bad parts of their resume exist and not the good parts. So let's get into the good parts. Uh, bottom line, Alex, this was a team that was expected to win 39 games this year, ultimately won 53 this season, including their playoff run 47 in the regular season. Um, at the end of the day, that is Tom Thibodeau's job. And he, he did his job. Um, also uh, the defense that was largely below average during the regular season, uh, really stepped up during the playoffs, only allowing 108.3 per 100 possessions um, that led the entire NBA. Two, um, two, three. Um, our biggest issue with Tom Thibodeau 
um, in the past was his lack of innovation, his lack of creativity, and the fact that he had certain principles. And while those principles could get him so far, um, he could not go beyond them because he was unable to ultimately adjust. And while, as we're going to get into with the negatives on Tom Thibodeau, that was still true to some extent, he, he did change his ways more than I ever thought he could. Um, look at some of the adjustments versus the Cavs, including closing with Obi Toppin, which it should be noted, Tibbs um, essentially still never did during the regular season. But push come to shove, Nick's season on the line, he was able to do it. It worked out well. Um, and then smaller things like, over the course of the series, realizing like Brunson guarding Karis LeVert wasn't working, switching on to Darius Garland against the Heat. Of course, it came too late, but finally figuring out that Quentin Grimes was essential um, and playing him 48 minutes in game five. Of course, he forgot it in game six, uh, but we'll get to that later. Um, I thought generally he was more creative offensively this year. Like it didn't necessarily show up um, under like the Heat, um, pun intended, of the postseason. But um, during the trials of the regular season, um, there's a lot more motion, um, a lot more set plays. And a lot more stuff done to leverage the specific talents of his offensive players, which was always one of my biggest pet peeves. And one of the most important things, Alex, not only did the young players develop under his watch, Emmanuel quickly making an incredible jump this year from someone who was a good bench player to someone who looked like a future all-star by the end of the season. Um, he trusted Obi a little bit more. He, he made the adjustment earlier in the year than I, I know you expected to move Quentin Grimes over Evan Fournier. Um, and he never gave up on R.J. Barrett, even when us and, and pretty much every other Knicks fan was begging him to. And that ultimately paid off um, come playoff time. And, and the final part, I'll, I'll let you talk about a little bit here, but the buy-in, right? And, and that is hard to quantify. And, and for me, it, it's hard to distinguish like, all right, did this front office just do a great job um, of putting together a team full of dogs with the W in the word? Um, or was that Tom Thibodeau? spurring this team on, getting them to play together. And with another coach, maybe this team wouldn't play quite so hard. Maybe this team wouldn't overachieve in the same ways thanks to their effort. Yeah, and that is key, obviously. And, you know, I, as well, uh, you know, in the adjustments department, like, can't leave out, too, the the nine-man rotation that, like, literally yeah. turned mm -hmm. the whole season around, too. You know, he he did finally manage to go to something different, stop doing his, like, five-for-five five hockey shift, and started mixing and matching a little more as the season went on, which led to interesting units finally that could go out there and play together and, you know, learn different things about the team, which is really valuable and is something that he hadn't really messed with prior to that. Um, but as far as the buy-in, like, yeah, he definitely has these guys' attention uh, and definitely has their, at least this year, has their respect it seems although like last year obviously we saw Julius Randle kind of go like off on his own a little bit as far as how he was behaving uh how he was interacting like on the court with the team how much he was hijacking stuff like that and so I guess maybe this would be a good way to like sort of lead into the negatives a bit but like he he does tend to hold players to different standards um which on a young team can be damaging uh, as much as it can be. I mean, we've seen in some ways like Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, even Deuce McBride to a degree, they've sort of persevered the, uh, the lack of transparency seemingly, or just like lack of consistency that they get uh, from Tibbs to turn into really good NBA players. And yet, we still, even in the playoffs, we're seeing like 
guys that still looked a little tentative because they seemed like they were worried about a quick hook. Uh, and, you know, we've seen like if quickly and top in and these guys are trusted to play a consistent role and get a consistent amount of minutes and not have a different standard that they can play better. Um, so I think that that falls under like a negative. Uh, you also noted, you know, in, in the notes here, you took down some some good uh, stats here, but he was kind of slow to adjust in the playoffs uh, versus Miami. So like uh, Grimes and Brunson had a about a plus nine uh, net rating and Hart Grimes and Brunson had about a plus five net rating. RJ Grimes and Brunson had a about a plus eight net rating. And then you have the lineup, the dreaded, the, the death lineup in a bad way of Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, and Jalen Brunson had a minus 13 net rating. So, I mean, and he played that lineup incessantly uh, down the stretch of the playoffs, and it just did not work, and he just kept kind of like banging his head into a wall and hoping that things would change when they wouldn't. Uh, you also noted here that he sat Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle simultaneously, which blew a big lead in the final game of the postseason. I mean, that was just sort of a microcosm of like he made some really head scratching decisions in the postseason, especially once he got up against one of the best coaches in the NBA. And that makes you wonder, should they stick with this guy? I, I, Gavin, we could probably give kind of our final thoughts. And I mean, we, we say final, and yet we're probably going to talk about this a hundred more times this, this off season, but I, I still stand by, I think Tibbs, if he comes back next year, we'll probably be fine. We'll probably coach the Knicks to, you know, 45-ish wins again. Probably be the five or six seed or something. And that would be fine. But I think that at a certain point, they're going to need to move on from him if they ever want to take the next step to the next level as a team. And I don't know if that's with Johnny Bryant being ascended to head coach or if that's from some external hire. But at some point they're going to need to consider moving off tips. Cause I think that he was, he's done great setting a culture, but when you need a guy who can make the highest level adjustments at the highest level of play, he's just not it. Yeah. And I think, I think the only way it ultimately works out with Tibbs is if it, maybe this is someone on staff or someone you bring in, but someone has to be empowered that can speak up to Tibbs and and throw the like the numbers that you just um, recited on Grimes. Which I wanted to shout out a uh, Schwinn, uh, a friend over at the Strickland, uh, threw those together. Uh, check out Pod Strickland, great podcast. Um, you need someone who can throw those numbers in Tom Thibodeau's face when you're two minutes into a, a do or die fourth quarter against the Miami Heat and say, "Hey, let's not wait till two minutes to put Quinn back in because we have an overwhelming amount of data that shows that we're better with him in the lineup." And I think Tibbs, to a fault, sometimes trust his gut over what the numbers play out. And I, I think he says, yeah, I saw that. I saw that, but I'm watching Quentin Grimes out here and he looks really shook and he doesn't look ready for this moment. And then there's an assistant that can say, Hey, that's true. He may not be ready to score in this situation, but he's going to defend his butt off. And the most important thing is that Miami's actually going to guard him. And that's going to open up things for Jalen Brunson to go to work. Um, there are some other areas the Knicks can open up before Alex. So maybe trading away one of their non-shooters. Maybe trading for a former Tibbs protege that has a somewhat rocky relationship with him. We'll get into all that in just a sec. Um, but first, Alex, uh, uh, can you tell us about our friends over at Bird Dogs? 
Yeah, Bird Dogs. What a name and a new sponsor. Uh, Bird Dogs are the maybe one of the most comfortable items of clothing that I've ever gotten, which is saying mm -hmm. something because I am very much a comfort over everything sort of person. Uh, but it's so funny that they they just started uh, sponsoring the podcast because I was like frantically looking for uh, some new shorts for this coming summer and. I, I love having shorts that I can sort of be wearing and have them look nice at like a picnic or something. But then if a game of volleyball breaks out or something, I don't have to be like, oh, crap, I didn't bring my gym shorts. And now I'm going to like, I mean, I'm well on record as being a sweaty dude. And, you know, I don't have to worry then about like, oh, man, am I going to like sweat through these shorts and look gross? Bird dogs have solved those problems for me. They're pretty sweet. Uh, I've they were nice enough to send us two pairs to try out, and I tried out the the gym short uh, style ones that they or they call them gym shorts, but they still look extremely presentable. And the Oxford shorts, both of them have four way stretch fabrics. The athletic shorts, I'm pretty sure I could take a swim in and have no issue, and they would dry super quickly. They all have a liner inside, so if you and, and it's like a almost like stretchy boxer material on the inside. So if you want to go commando, you can, uh, or if not, you just have like dual layers of protection against sweat and stuff. If you're wearing your own boxers underneath, uh, these shorts are awesome. I mean, they're so comfortable. They look really good, which is nice. And I've been enjoying the heck out of having them. So, I mean, <laughs> I'll give full disclosure. This is, they basically were like, just tell people about the product. And it was really easy because I wore these like this whole week and I'm super, super satisfied with them. So easiest endorsement ever, as far as I'm concerned. If you want to get some for yourself, go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. And when you enter promo code locked on NBA, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every order. I forgot to mention that too. They sent that to me and I've been drinking coffee out of it all week. So not only do I feel comfortable and like, you know, I have unlimited stretch capabilities in my shorts, but I also can drink coffee out of a sick Yeti mug with the bird dog. They're, they're, they're warming you up inside and out. They really are. So again, one more time, head to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. That's code locked on NBA. And you'll get a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. All right. And we're back in. Continuing our big questions here. And this one, Gavin, this one will probably be quite polarizing. I mean, I don't think it's really polarizing between you and I. I feel like we're going to come to the same conclusion. But other people might have different opinions about this. Should the Knicks trade for Carl Anthony Towns? And, you know, he comes to mind immediately because the Timberwolves obviously had their struggles this year. They invested heavily in Rudy Gobert. You know, they might be a team that would look and say, hey, we need to make a shakeup, you know, real bad because we just invested like a megastar level package in Gobert and all that for a quick first round exit this year. Like that's not that's not what you want out of that situation. Um, maybe that means that the Knicks would look at like a Julius Randle for a cat swap or something like that. Um I mean, there's there's kind of no denying like Cat is one of the best big man scorers maybe in the history of the NBA. Uh, he's a career 40% three-point shooter. He's had some years where he shot 40% on seven-plus attempts per game. So, like, he's doing it on volume. Uh, and yet there's still some – there's still some concerns, particularly given the fact that 
they just did this experiment with uh, Rudy Gobert this year that obviously didn't work out super great. And if you're looking at a potential Julius for cat swap, you might run into those same problems with Mitch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we look what defined cats game throughout his career was his absurd efficiency um, this year. And it was a pretty small sample size, but they only got to play 27 games together, but his efficiency fell off a cliff with Gobert on the court. Um, he was only 60th percentile in points per shot attempt, which obviously uh, is still good. I mean, that's relative to other centers, but it, it's only the second season of his career where he ranked below the 80th percentile. Um, this was stunning to me. Only 42nd percentile in effective field goal percentage, only the second time in his career where he's below average. Again, this is a guy who is defined by his ability to score at high volumes while still maintaining efficiency. Um, and then the other issue is... Um, you can play defense with him at the power forward, um, which was a concern in the past, but I, I think he's to his credit, he's gotten more mobile. He's gotten a little bit more active on that side of the court, a little bit better about keeping his hands up. Um, so to that point, when him and Gobert played together, um, the team had a defensive rating of 105.2, which would have led the NBA by about four and a half points per hundred possessions. So ridiculously good defensively when those two on the floor. The Knicks could definitely replicate that with him and Mitchell Robinson or come close to it. The issue is, Alex, their offense was terrible. Um, 106.2 points per 100 possessions when Towns and Gobert shared the floor, um, which would rank the worst in the NBA by over two points. Of course, the Knicks have Jalen Brunson, but guess what? The Minnesota Timberwolves have Anthony Edwards, so I don't know how much they'd be able to compensate for that. Um, I think it might have been slightly more small sample size, but to your point, Cat is such a good shooter that – he can make up for that a bit. He's also a talented passer. Um, so there are ways you could make it work. The issue is by having a center on the floor, you're taking away a lot of what he fundamentally does fantastically, which is his ability to attack mismatches, to take bigs off the dribble, um, having a great package around the rim. You lose that. You lose a lot of what makes Carl Anthony Towns great. Um, and then if you play him and Randall together, one, I just don't think that's the direction Tibbs is willing to go because of lack of rim protection. Um, and two, um, I, I don't think, I, I think even on the perimeter, he's not nearly a good enough defender to justify that kind of role, even relative to someone like Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, it's funny. Those numbers were actually like a little bit compelling, like of him and Gobert together. And it, yeah. it almost makes you want to reconsider like, Oh, maybe he can. Maybe this. Maybe that could work. Maybe he could be in a two big lineup and and have it be fine uh, on the defensive end. And yet, I think it mostly comes down to like you're going to be dooming whoever his center is to doing a ton of work. Like you're going to be saying like Mitch, you're going to have to work real hard because this guy is probably not going to keep a lot of fours in front of him uh, in the NBA. And you know, especially with the four becoming a more and more mobile position, like even even some of the guys that you know like. Weminyama might might very well he probably won't come in he'll come in and be a center this year for the the Spurs I think but like you look at guys like uh like Evan Mobley you know who are like center sized but are way more mobile than like a cat uh at the four so even the guys that are bigger in these like two big lineups are still you know doing a, a much better job of being mobile than cat is uh on the perimeter so you know you're basically screwing your defense up in that way and then on offense he kind of does his best work when he's able to work inside out so if you have a presence like I think the reason that it didn't work out so well with Gobert on offense is because if you have a 
a presence like a Gobert or like a Mitchell Robinson that is pretty much only good on the inside, you're taking away half of Cat's game, which is like his post-up game, which he's actually quite good at. Like he's very good at pretty much every aspect of offense. Um, but you need to basically have him out there as the five to utilize all of it and have spacing around him. Otherwise, you know, teams can pack the paint against him. And you just can't, in my opinion, run him out there as the center either because he's just not good enough defensively in today's NBA to be an anchor, especially on a Tibbs team. Uh, mm. So it, it it's a lot of stuff against him as far as his fit on like a really good winning basketball team. And we've sort of seen that in Minnesota where they have, they've had an increasingly good collection of talent and have not gotten much better uh, over the years, despite having him throughout all of it. Um, I'll just say one more note before we kind of make our, our determinations on him, or at least our early determination here, but he's super injury prone as well, which I, I don't know if it goes underreported, but like, I mean, he's only played, 35 games, 50 games, 74 games, and 29 games his last four years in the NBA. That is not someone, like, you would have to pay up. Like, it, assuming that you even trade, like, Julius Randle for him, if the Knicks were the aggressor in that trade, they're probably paying the Timberwolves a bit. You know, even if it's just one of those protected picks plus Julius Randle or something to get Cat. And for all of his flaws, like, Julius Randle is an Iron Man. This year he would have played every single game if not for – if not for that really bad ankle sprain at the end of the year. Uh, so uh, there's just so much against getting cat for me. I, I think I'm fully out on the idea of trading for him. And I feel like if he wasn't a former Leon Rose client, this probably isn't a player that would even come up in the Knicks, you know, atmosphere, but because he's a former Leon Rose client, of course it's going to get talked about. Uh, but if I were the Knicks, I would, I would steer clear. I just don't think, I don't think there's a way that you could build a roster around him that you could actually compete for like a championship someday. And I do think that with Jalen Brunson in tow now and with how well this team played this year, that is something you can actually start dreaming about at this point. Yeah. And I, th I think the real reason for that is like, he, he tends to really, really struggle um, in, in his limited career playoff exposure, like even this year and, and worth noting he was coming off an injury, but I look at those first two games of the series, you're in Denver, right? You're going up against, um, the guy who won two of the last three MVPs, you're going up against the one seed. That's when you expect your, your quote unquote mega star to like, all right, man, you got to cook. Like you got to, you got to win us a game. And in the first two games of the series, he scored. Um, let me see here. He scored 11 points. The first game, 10 points. The second game, a combined um, eight of 27 from the field, a combined three of 12 from three, um, a combined two for four from the foul line got a little bit better. The rest of the series had a 27 point game and then a 26 point game and an 11 rebound game in the closeout. So you give him some credit for that, Alex, but he, he is a historic um, playoff underachiever um, for his entire career. Like it, it really wasn't much better when he was fully healthy a year before um, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, yeah. He's, he averaged 22 points per game last year and, and did not shoot the ball. Well, um, and, and look, I, I always hesitate to say someone isn't a winning player, right? Because it always depends on context, right? Like someone's not a winning player, but if you put them on the uh, 73 win Golden State Warriors, all of a sudden they would be a winning player. Um, but Carl Anthony Towns for the context that the Knicks would have to rely on him in. I, I don't think he's someone who helps you in playoff series to your point. I don't think he's someone who helps you ultimately win championships. Um, how can the Knicks win a championship? They need a little bit more shooting. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a sec. All right, uh, Alex, let's get into it. Final 
Big question for this one. Do the New York Knicks need more shooting? Um, for the majority of the postseason, um, and this this was, um, I, I would highly encourage everyone to check out Fred Katz's excellent article on this. He made the point, and I agree with it. Um, there were basically three Knicks that were treated as quote-unquote shooters. It was Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, and Emmanuel Quickly. And even Emmanuel Quickly, by the time he got injured, you could tell he was starting to get a little bit less respect from opposing defenses. Quentin Grimes um, continued to get respect, but didn't actually hit that many shots, as we've noted many a time. Um, so, Alex, the question simple. Do the Knicks need more shooting if they want to go further in the playoffs than they did? I would say yes, but I would also say that, like, most teams in the NBA would probably say that they need more shooting at any given time um, it, because it's it's the one thing that you can never have too much of in the NBA at this point. Uh, that said, like the Knicks are, yeah, they sort of are in this weird spot where they picked up Josh Hart at the deadline. They're presumably going to try to re-sign him. Otherwise, I don't know where they're going to go to try to find more shooting, but I definitely think that they need to do so. Like you need to have at least one more person that you can throw out there. So you don't have to play Quentin Grimes like 48 minutes again. Um, now where you get that, shooting from i'm not sure it would have been really great if the mavs had been jumped by someone and could have fallen to pick 11 because i think that this year there are lots of great shooters and one would have fallen to the knicks in the draft and you could have had like a quentin grimes sort of situation where someone steps right in from minute one and can be a contributor shooting the basketball at the nba level uh whether that would have been like jordan hawkins or grady dick or something like that like there's, there's dudes like that in this year's NBA draft. Um, maybe the Knicks look to trade back into the draft and try to get a pick in their like sweet spot around like 20 to 25 and see if they can draft someone. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll still talk about the draft to some degree because that is a distinct possibility. They could still do that. Uh, or maybe they look to free agency, and I, I haven't looked through the list, but you know, I think there is something to be said for where it's going to be difficult given the resources that they'll have on hand to find a player that will simultaneously be able to shoot the basketball, but also fit sort of the mold of what Tibbs would want out of a wing player, which is they're going to have to play defense too. And three and D is the, the like the, uh, the stock trading symbol in the NBA for like, you know, like big time money. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, that gets you money in the NBA. So I think, in short, yes, they need more shooting, but I think it could be a little challenging to get it this year, and and we'll see how it goes. But especially when they're more or less like softly committed to re-signing the guy who was the guy in Hart, who honestly was an amazing player, helped turn the season to like a new gear once he came to the team, and is fully worthy and and should be you know, resign because he's a fantastic player, but he will probably be one of their top free agent priorities and was part of the problem as far as shooting against the heat. So it's, it's going to be an interesting off season for the Knicks in that regard. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's an absolute um, necessity. The Knicks finished 15th um, out of all playoff teams in effective field goal percentage. Um, they hit less than 30% of their threes for the entire postseason. Um, they, they were the only team that didn't go over 30% from three. And it does, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit last episode, but it does make you 
question Josh Hart. The issue, obviously, and, and this is kind of what you were getting at, is, is acquiring shooting typically comes with a trade-off, with an opportunity cost. It's hard to find guys that can shoot, that can also play defense. If they can also play defense, can they create? Can they make quick decisions? Like You need all of the above if you're the New York Knicks, and that's why Quentin Grimes is so valuable because I actually think he does have the potential to check all those boxes, to finish at the rim, to defend, to play make, um, to have a mid-range game, um, to pump and go, to pump and take a sidestep three. Like, like he has that versatility within him, as does Emmanuel quickly, which is why you hold on to those guys for dear life, and you maybe try to develop the shooting of the guys you have, namely R.J. Barrett, Alex, who was maybe the one encouraging guy on the Knicks in terms of how he shot versus how he shot in the regular season. That being said, I do think you need it at one more spot, and this is something that we can explore um, as we go along the offseason. But I wonder if someone like Brooke Lopez might not be interesting to the New York Knicks. If the Knicks could sway him, maybe do a sign-in trade where you send Mitchell Robinson to Milwaukee or, or you trade Mitchell Robinson to a third team. Um, but if the Knicks had a guy at center like Lopez who could protect the rim um, as well, if not better, than Mitchell Robinson does um, and could make threes and could give you a little bit of bully ball against the mismatch, I think that could completely revolutionize the Knicks offense. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, I think that was what we were hoping for with Hartenstein was to have someone that could give you that sort of look. Now, granted, I guess the other thing is, even if you got a Brooke Lopez, and this goes back to this talk about full circle, brings you back to our, uh, you know, the, the first segment here, but like, can you trust Tibbs to have a Brooke Lopez and use him as a shooter? Um, because he's he's consistently proven like that, like Hartenstein came in with a rep of like this guy m- might be able to shoot some threes if he's empowered to do so. Like he did it on a small sample, but shot like thirty five percent for the Clippers the year before coming to the Knicks, and I think he shot like I don't know, like one one and a half per game, something like that. So it wasn't a ton, but then no, got he, to the Knicks. I think he only took thirty the whole year. To be fair to Tibbs, yeah, okay, so more like a half. But either way, like it would be it would be nice to have a player that could do that more. And Hartenstein was given that latitude a little bit. Like we saw him taking maybe like one, three per game initially, uh, but then kind of fell off on that and, you know, was not taking any by the end of the year and was basically just playing like a slightly different version of Mitchell Robinson. Um, But if the Knicks do, you know, could get a player at the five that could actually shoot, that could change things. If they, if they had a player at the four that they empowered to shoot more like an Obi Toppin, if he, if he is able to like really get his shot together and really start shooting with confidence, that could change things for them too, to have a guy who's a little more of just like a, a spot up shooter with the ability to put the ball on the floor that could work out well for them. Julius Randall, of course, I mean, if he, if he's still on the team and, and, you know, is able to start hitting his spot up threes, during big moments in playoff games, whatever that changes things as well. But he obviously did not have his best outing from three uh, and didn't have the respect of a team like the heat to make those threes and never really punished that uh, lack of coverage. Unlike a Quentin Grimes, where it was like, he always had the attention and you, and you could sort of tell that he was always shooting under duress and he struggled a bit, but was at least doing the job of drawing the defense away at any given time because he, he, proved i guess to be dangerous enough to still cover um it's a complex thing i mean there's just so many spots that you could look at and say the knicks need more shooting there and you know like small forward even you could argue like 
in an ideal world, you might want to have a lineup where you can even have neither RJ nor Josh Harden and have another shooter out there uh, and have like Brunson Grimes and another shooter. And maybe that would be enough shooting to open things up for like Julius Randall, Mitchell Robinson, and just the whole team in general. Uh, but it's, it's a complex problem. I mean, I was even just looking through free agents and nobody really jumps out to me as far as like relatively affordable, you know, maybe if you, if you're willing to make some sort of trade, you could work some sort of sign and trade for Gary Trent Jr. Like if whoever the new coach is for uh, the Raptors decides that he's not one of their guys, you know, maybe you can work out some sort of sign and trade there. But other than that, I mean, I don't see anybody that's really jumping off the page as far as like a, a knockdown shooter that the Knicks could go get this offseason and and i i kind of wonder i don't know gavin i'll throw this back to you and sort of take this discussion full circle before we close up but like i i wonder if their best chance might be trying to get back into this draft and trying to get at least one player out of the draft somehow even if it means maybe trading like one or two of those like more protected first round picks to get someone like that unless they have something cooking for a bigger star trade this offseason yeah, and I look, I think I think the main avenue non-free agency wise to acquire a shooter would be trading Randall. I know uh Frank Barrett, um, another Strickland legend, threw out on Twitter uh Randall for Tobias Harris, DeAnthony Melton, and two first round picks from the Sixers, um, which would be interesting. I, I think I'd be scared of like how good that could potentially make Philly if if they get the best version of Randall. Um, but then you have someone in Tobias Harris at the four who is always going to be closely guarded. You have another really high level shooter off the bench in Melton. Um, and you have um, two picks down the road that you can maybe package with some of your current picks to go get a Grady Dick, to go get a Taylor Hendricks, to go get a Jordan Hawkins, to go get a Jet Howard or any one of those guys. So something like that would be interesting to me. Um, but I think to your point on Randall, like he was a guy during the regular season who warranted respect because he got up eight attempts per game from three and he shot 34%, which isn't amazing. But if you're shooting that many, you typically have to guard that guy. And I think the issue with Obi Toppin right now is like, even when he has good game shooting, it's not always as effective for the Knicks because he's not treated as a shooter out there. Like there's a reason the game he started against Cleveland, they said, all right, or, or it was game one against Miami, I guess. We're going to let you go four for 11 from three, like, like shoot those all day. And like, yes, like that's, that's not a bad mark if he's hitting that many. Um, but if he's not guarded again, it doesn't help Jalen Brunson that much. It doesn't help Julius Randall when he is playing that much. It doesn't help Mitchell Robinson crash the glass all that much. Um, and then my final point is just to like push back a little bit on what you're saying at the center spot. I don't think Tibbs is reticent to play a center that can shoot. He just, his greater priority is playing a center that can protect the rim. And usually those two things don't go together. But again, if you find someone like Brooke Lopez, um, who, who's kind of a unicorn because that is super duper rare, um, they can kind of go together. And look, Milwaukee's going to want to keep him. You're going to have to pay the guy a ton of money. Um, he's 35 years old, so he doesn't do the Knicks timeline the way Mitchell Robinson does, but he would be a great option. Um, but all those questions and more, uh, we will continue to explore next episode. Uh, something we touched on here. Should the Knicks trade? Uh, we'll get to that next time. But until then, he's Alex and Gavin. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.